Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct our entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body, and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt produce fresh. Amen. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are creator. You are the one who speaks and life happens, Lord. Father, your word is perfect. It revives us. Your word is trustworthy. You can make complex situations simple. You bring wisdom. God, your word is right. It gives joy to the heart. Your words are radiant. It gives light to the eyes. Your word is pure. and endures forever and ever. Your word is trustworthy. It is sure. We can lean on it. We can rest on it, God. It is altogether righteous, Lord. It is more precious than gold. It's sweeter than honey. Dear God, may the words of my mouth, our mouths, Lord, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. Our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. We ask that you would speak today and we grab a hold of what you want us to learn. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, today we get to travel through the letter of James again. We have been tracking in the letter of James, and this is our seventh lesson today. So James is a letter. So here at Plymouth Meeting Church, we read the Bible literarily, meaning we need to understand the literature, the genre of of what we're reading in in Scripture. Uh, This is a letter. A letter, a letter written to house churches all across the Roman Empire. How do we know that? Well, James lets us know in the very beginning of of the letter. And he's addressing some problems that have been 
popping up in this early Christian you know, uh, time of the, of the church here. Now, if you're familiar with other New Testament letters, like those written by Paul and, and John, when we come to James, we recognize that this one's a little bit different. This one cuts differently. And, and really, uh, a good way to, to put it is that James reflects wisdom literature. It's, it's almost like um, if we were to sit down and write a letter today, but then we, we had the book of Proverbs open. And we're reading Proverbs and we're thinking about something in everyday life and, and we connect dots and then we start writing the letter. James does believe that there is a good way to live. It is the, the life rooted in Jesus, the life shaped by the gospel. And because we're far from perfect, we will need corrections from, from time to time. We don't learn how to walk in a day, nor once we learn how to walk, there always seems to be this limp, right? We sometimes need to, to be corrected in order to walk straight. And so through pastoral corrections, James is calling upon the church to practice living out the gospel. And he, he calls out a few things in this, this letter. Today, uh, James wants to revisit a topic that he introduced in what we call James chapter 1. We need to watch what we say. If you recall from James chapter 1, a religious person with an out-of-control mouth, somebody who, who has a, a rash mouth, we need to check in on that. We need to control our tongue. James says, if your mouth is out of control, your religion is useless, in his words. In context, this time period, the majority of Christians, believers, Jesus followers, they are in poverty. And actually, across the Roman Empire, only about 10% of the population could read. So here we have this letter. James's letter is being transmitted across the empire. And each community will, will receive a letter, a, a copy. A, a letter will be given to them, and, and it will have to be read aloud so that people can, can hear it and understand it. Now, if you were lucky, your, com your community not only would have somebody who could read, but also had somebody with teaching capacity, capabilities. Carrying over from the Jewish tradition, teachers were highly influential. Those in the ministry office of, of teaching, in the Jewish tradition, they're called rabbis, some of the most respected people in the community, a crucial part of the community. So you have these house churches. They receive a letter. They, they have a teacher who can read. Okay, that teacher has a lot of power, right? Now, James is just overall here today. He's concerned about our speech patterns. So his entry point today is by putting the spotlight on, on these teachers he wants to talk about our language today, but first he's going to talk about teachers. He says this, not many should become teachers, my brother, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. Hmm. What does he mean? Right? Well, paraphrasing Luke 12, 
48, let's point to Jesus here. Great gifts mean great responsibilities. Greater gifts mean greater responsibilities. In short, God holds us accountable. In Matthew 12, 36, Jesus warns us. He says, I tell you that everyone will have to, everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Again, with another Jesus story from Matthew 23, Jesus is rebuking the religious leaders of the day, Pharisees, scribes. They love the seat of honor. They love being called rabbi, teacher, master. But Jesus' point is that, okay, these guys have a lot of education. They should know better. But their life is a fashion show. Okay? And besides teaching poorly and and being careless with with words, teachers face other other issues as well. Because there's this, this platform temptation. Again, if you, if you think about the Pharisees, uh, their addiction to, to being in the spotlight, their, their life is a fashion show. They, they want to be out in front. Look at me. Look at me. There is a temptation to the platform, to celebrity. In recent literature, uh, this just came out a couple months ago uh, by uh, Caitlin Beatty. She talks to the evangelical church, and she warns, she warns the church in, the, in her book, Celebrities for Jesus, that we need to be careful about celebrity, about our, our, our attraction to glamour and, and spectacle and things like that. She, she reminds us that an icon is a representation, and, and we are all icons. We all reflect something. But what happens is... Celebrity turns icons into idols. And if the church isn't careful, we start celebrating the wrong things. We start loving the wrong things. And so we admire the platform, all the books that they write, the endorsements that they get. The teachers make headlines. And then some of them, they start saying things just to get attention. And I would, I think James would observe all of this today. And his advice might be the same. He's like, hey, hey, slow down. We don't need to be impatient when we appoint teachers. Don't be so eager to find yourself in this official teaching capacity, this this teaching role in the church. You don't need to rush into being a teacher because there is accountability. We want to be careful. Be a careful Bible teacher. Yesterday, Jess and I spent half the day in Myerstown. That is the location of where our denomination is headquarters, Myerstown, Pennsylvania. And uh, the reason why we were there is because I serve on our denomination's ministerial development community. And let me just tell you, like our denom- denomination takes, takes a good look at education, what it means to be a teacher, a pastor in the church. Our denomination actually has, I think, more hoops to jump through than other denominations. We take this stuff seriously. We want to be a careful Bible teacher. Words create worlds. Language builds culture. Our words matter. 
Jump into another uh, great book. Uh, in short, what is a teacher? Teachers communicate the revealed wisdom of God so that the people of God learn how to obey all that Christ has commanded them. That's from Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch there. Right? We're teaching God's word. What is at stake here? Well, the danger is teachers can teach false dogma, false doctrine. It can twist into heresy, and, or we could preach legalism, works righteousness. Teachers have the ability to, um, what they're getting into, it can create a community that's bitter, divisive, selfishness, self-centered, a community of, of disorder, again, division. False teachers can promote ideas that, that do not look like Jesus Christ, but they slap a Christian label on it. The proliferation of bad theology, it can be harmful. Now we must remember that teachers never stop being students. We are all learners. So we, we always approach the teaching office, the small group, the discussion table. We, we approach it as, as learners with humility. Theology is a team sport. And again, slow down. Let's, let's be wise. Let's, let's be careful Bible teachers. So next, James, he, he takes the spotlight off of teachers and he zooms out a little bit. And he says, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Again, what we say and how we say it, it, it matters. Vocabulary matters. We all fail in many ways. We all fail in many ways, especially with our words. However, if we're able to control our words, it's like we're, if we're able to bridle our words, that is a sign of maturity. So may I encourage all of you today to hang out with the royal law set in Scripture. That's James's way of talking about the great commandment, to love God and love people. Let the great commandment shape your words. Let's walk through it. As the great commandment, as you love God, as you love people, as you love people, as you love God, let, let that just shape your heart and your head. That's going to shape your behavior. That's going to shape your words, your prayer life. Language builds culture. Language builds culture. Let's be humble culture builders here with the language that we use. We speak life. We speak vision. We speak hope. For some of you who are teachers or find themselves doing a lot of talking throughout the day, throughout the week, you know that the more that we say, the more room there is for error. If we can control our words, it's like being able to control our whole body. And I think James means that in two ways, our physical body, but then also the body of, of Christ. I think of uh, gymnastics here. Jess and I like watching gymnastics, and sometimes you know we see something amazing on the television screen, and, and I'm just like, whoa, and, and then Jess is like, she has a gymnastics background, and she's like, you don't even know how hard that was. Like, you don't even know, Cameron. 
the, the training that they go through in order to control their body, in order to do the things that they do in gymnastics. It's amazing. And I asked Jess, I was like, hey, what's, what's like a fundamental thing that you really need to master as a gymnast? And she's like, actually, it's just being able to keep track of where you are in time. Or not, not time, space. <laughs> no, you don't time travel. No, your, your space. Where you are in relation to the ground. Keeping track of where your body is as you fly through space. If you cannot keep track of where the ground is, you can't do simple things. You certainly cannot do dangerous things. You're going to hurt yourself. I think they call this the twisties. Having no idea where you are in relation to the ground. That can be really dangerous. But if you master that, if you master it, like this is a, a fundamental thing. What's at stake here? You either get to do gymnastics or you might hurt yourself really bad. What's at stake here? Another example that James gives. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. I didn't grow up around horses. Maybe some of you are familiar with how this works. A good, well-fitted bit when used correctly, yeah, it, it controls the horse. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, James says, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. doesn't matter if you have a small boat or a big boat, the rudder is really tiny. And also, there's... Um, Another example about wildfires here. So, too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. Where James lives, it doesn't rain about five, six months of the year. And he is well familiar with forest fires, with, with wildfires. And he knows, hey, it just takes, it just takes a little spark, and you're going to have... You're going to have a big blaze. Israel still, like, they still suffer from wildfires. I think there was a big one last, last year. Now, James, after those examples, he's not done. He wants to keep this fire burning, this lesson burning, so to speak. And he says this, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, okay? An entire cosmos, an entire universe of iniquity, of, of injustice, of wrongness, okay? The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. It is placed among our members. It stains the whole body. It sets the course of life on fire, and it is set on fire by hell, in English, hell. He uses the word Gehenna. Gehenna. It's, it's a real place in the Hinnom Valley right outside of Jerusalem. Way back in the days of old, child sacrifices happened there. This imposter god named Moloch demanded child sacrifices. We know that from biblical evidence. We also know that from archaeology. They have uncovered just thousands of burnt skeletal remains in this valley. By Jesus' day, Gehenna becomes Jerusalem's fire dump. Garbage dump lit on fire. 
It's an idiom that represents condemnation, the fires of hell that never go out. James really wants to get his point across here, doesn't he? It's like hell inspires our garbage words. It's like we speak and smoke comes out. The fumes of hell come right out, right out of the garbage dump hellfires. You know, we just keep fuming nasty things out of our mouth. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed, and it has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Our words have power. We can create poisonous worlds of hell with what we speak. We have the capacity to hurt, to alienate, to bring ruin. Disunity. Small words can cut so deeply. And because we're all human, I know we all have had the experience of being on the receiving end of bad language, of language that brings hurt. And I'm sorry. Words do cut so deep. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. I want to circle back to that. James says the tongue is a whole entire world of unrighteousness. And you know what? It wasn't supposed to be this way. Sin has really messed us up. Our tongues are broken. The fire tongue goes against God's design. So, yeah, perhaps James has had some Old Testament wisdom passages in mind when he was writing this. I'll share three. Proverbs 16, 27, a worthless person digs up evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. Proverbs 13, 3, the one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. Proverbs 12, 18, and listen to this one. There is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Do you hear the mixture in that last one there? Our words can speak words of wisdom and, and bring healing. Our words can also pierce like daggers, swords. Blessing and cursing comes out of the same mouth. James continues, he says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with, and, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. We don't have time to explore blessing and cursing today, but just real quick, when we talk about blessing, we're pointing towards life, abundance, flourishing, shalom, peace, blessing. A curse is, it implies judgment, scarcity, isolation, death. A curse is a reminder that we are limited, that we have hindrances. And James, he, he ties his, the thread of his teaching to this larger doctrine that we call the doctrine of the Imago Dei, which is Latin for the image of God. He doesn't flesh out what he means when he says that people are made in God's likeness. He assumes his audience knows what that means. He assumes that, that his audience understands that out of all creation, the creature called the human, it bears God's reflection, God's image. We are icons and we reflect God. 
In short, it means treating people with, people with dignity and respect. I was recently reading an article, and the author, author mentioned about how some of us like to talk more than others. Some of us really like a good, witty reply. A good comeback, right? But sometimes we, we have to admit, our comebacks, our witty, snarky comments, our sarcasm, we have to admit that sometimes it goes too far. We end up cutting people down more than what we really ever intended. And this is challenging because the water that we swim in, our culture really celebrates a good comeback. It's all about having the best zingers, right? I just want to pause here. I want to invite you and encourage you to go deeper into your relationship with Jesus every single day. Because the more that you draw closer to Jesus, I do believe that Jesus has something to say about our words, our speech patterns. What we say and how we say it, it will be challenged. Now, I do think there is room for wit and sarcasm. I do believe Jesus had a sense of humor. And Jesus also gave rebukes and warnings and and things like that. But he never belittled or degraded others. And so we, we need to be aware that we have this incredible ability to bless God and curse image bearers within a matter of seconds. We can say something that is so beautiful and and life-giving and theologically rich, and then just a few words later, we can belittle, we can speak words that dehumanize others, speak words that are unkind. My brothers and sisters, it should not be this way. So he gives examples, illustrations, and it brings implication to us. Just put on your imagination cap here. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? Can a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield (coughs) fresh water. What do these Illustrations imply. So in closing here, if you don't mind me giving you a challenge here at the end, I want to give you a homework assignment. I want you to couch on these verses, verses 11 and 12 here in James chapter 3. Think about these verses. Reflect upon these illustrations. Like what is, what is James getting at? What on the screen here? What is James getting at? How do they apply to your speech Patterns. Just reflect, observe, and then I want you to share that with others. What is James talking about? And how are you going to live your life in light of that? And so, yes, as we reflect this morning, zooming in back into the the, the ministry office of being a teacher, yes, in light of teaching ministries, church, We don't want to appoint our teachers carelessly. Now to zoom out, I invite you to reflect. How do you watch what you say? 
How do you control your tongue? Is this a weakness for some of you? I encourage you to meditate on the great commandment. Where is that at? Matthew 23, verses 34 to 40. Let the great commandment, love God, love people. Love people, love God. Let that shape your words. May I inspire you this morning to try to cast your vision of yourself as as one with, with great words and someone who communicates well. That is a sign of maturity. Be a lover of words. We all must be aware that our words have power. Words create worlds. Language builds culture. We do have the ability to speak hell. To, 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 to bring a world of hell with our words. Are we speaking life or are we draining it? And be mindful. The impulsive, out of control mouth. It goes against God's design. Be sensitive. That blessing and cursing. Come out of the same mouth. Be relational. Keep hanging out with Jesus. Keep hanging out with Jesus. And your speech patterns will be challenged, nurtured, and transformed. Now trust me, I know. What to say. How to say it. When to say it. That can be stressful. Taxing, it can bring anxiety. It can be difficult. Sometimes you have the right thing to say, but it's the wrong time. Sometimes we fail to speak up. I'm right here with all of you this morning. (laughs) I mess up with my words. I fail to speak up sometimes. I'm all over the place with this. I'm learning. I'm learning as well. I need wisdom. We all need wisdom, don't we? We certainly need wisdom with our words. And that is where we are going next week. So Lord willing, we'll see you then. And we'll talk about the wisdom that comes from God. Let's pray.